0: Um, If you have a Bible, you can open it to Romans. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 13 this morning um, as we continue talking about what it looks like to live the Christian life, live a life that is uh, kind of its own thing, a distinct thing um, from other lives around us because of what the gospel has meant for us. And before we read our passage this morning, which we'll also put up on the screen for you, um, I want to tell you about something that I was a huge fan of when I was a kid, Uh, when I was a kid, I loved, well, I'll say kid as in in, into adolescence, into being a teenager, absolutely. I absolutely loved buffets. Like uh, where I grew up, it was Sizzler and, um, you know, the precursor to hometown buffet, maybe, I don't know. But like uh, when we went to Sizzler I could not believe my, I just couldn't believe it. Like it blew my mind. The fact that I could get any of this stuff. I wasn't at a point in my life yet where I understood the difference between quantity and quality. Um, So it didn't matter to me at all. And I wasted probably most of the food that I got. But here I put a picture of a buffet up for you. The mental image, like to show up being a kid, you know, kids are given what they're given and then you eat it, right? It's like this is what we're eating now, so this is what you get to eat now. You don't get a ton of choices or when you go to a restaurant, it's like, okay, I get to pick one thing that I really like, that's pretty great, but I only get one thing. So you go to a place like Sizzler and your parents pay probably way too much um, and uh, and you go in and it's just like, you feel like a king. You feel like a king. You can take all the plates you want, you can throw away all the food that you want, and then when you're done, you get dessert, and you get to do it yourself. This was like, like I remember the first time that I did frozen yogurt when they had the, the scale, and I didn't know about the scale. I just was like, are you kidding me? These people are actually letting me do this? And then the scale came, and I was like broke, you know, because I was in college or something. It wasn't like that. There's no scale. All the ice cream, pour it out, get sick, throw it away. Didn't matter, because it was sizzler. You could do whatever you wanted, right? Eventually, I would get a little bit older and I would realize, like, you know, maybe it isn't the best food, um, depending on where you go, but I still, I still loved it and I still love a good buffet. Uh, I, I bring that up because uh, I think that depending on the way that something is served to you and the way that you see it, it will, it will totally change, um, well, how you take it in when it comes to food. Another example I would give you is if you go to someone's house for dinner and they bring you some food and they put it in front of you, You don't treat that situation like the salad bar at Sizzler, right? Like the hometown buffet. You don't go, no thanks, what else do you have? Right? Um, if you've ever um, been to another country and visit another country, you know that there are cultural like connections to certain foods that people can give others, and uh, it can be considered very rude and, 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 and mean and like inhospitable, to have someone offer you something that seems very strange and very weird that you've never eaten for you to be like, oh, no way, right, I don't think so. If you've ever traveled with someone who has no problem saying no to that stuff, you really know how awkward it can feel. And it's kind of like even going to a restaurant where you go to a regular restaurant, and you're sitting there, and uh, maybe you have somebody at your table who has no problem sending food back. They have no problem not taking what they get, right? And you're just like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'll just tip you more, whatever, I, I feel really bad about this, right? None of us are that person, right? We're only ever there with that person, right? Uh, we, th- this, there's, there's a different way that we approach what's presented to us and put in front of us, and it all depends on how we see it and What we talk about when we talk about living the Christian life is we talk about having a relationship with the very Word of God that is different from the relationship we would have had with it before we were a Christian. You see, for a person who is not a Christian or who is not seeking to live the Christian life, then this book is, can be full of all kinds of helpful information, all kinds of good things. And much like Gandhi himself said, uh, one famously was quoted saying, you know, it doesn't matter to me whether the historical Jesus was real or not, because that doesn't make a single word of the Sermon on the Mount untrue. For me, right? Uh, we can we can find value and meaning and inspiration and, and purpose and and comfort and 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 all that kind of stuff in God's word as a non-believer. But we also seem to have kind of this unique relationship with it where we can take certain parts of it and we can leave others, right? But what a Christian is called to do, to live the Christian life, is first and foremost to have a different relationship, be transformed by the renewing of our mind, like we read about in the beginning of Romans chapter 12, where this, this practical part of Romans begins. When we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, what that looks like is us looking at the very word of God and saying, when this is presented to me, when I sit before it and I encounter something in it, it's something that I need to take in, even if it's hard for me to take in, even if it's unappealing for me, even if it's uncomfortable for me. There are two fundamentally different approaches to God's word. One is to say, I must reconcile this with my life and I must reconcile my life with this truth and the other, and the, and the, and to pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit and submission to God and willingness to just just spend time asking for God to help us to make this thing a part of our life, that to trust that God's word will actually uh, be true and good for us uh, in, in the way that we really really hope that it would be. The other approach is to simply treat God's word like a buffet. To, to walk down the buffet and to say, I like this, I'm not sure about that, I like this, nope, everyone knows I don't like that, ooh, they have one of these, I'll take one of those, they've got a lot more of the, about this than I ever thought, they've got a whole new helping of this thing, I didn't realize it last time I opened the Word of God. That is the most common way that people interact with the Bible. And the difference between the way a Christian would view scripture and a non-Christian is not the fact that you even read the Bible, I think, and it is not even the amount of knowledge you have about the Bible, but it is whether or not you submit yourself to it, or you say, it will submit itself to me, and I will take what's comfortable, and I won't take what's not comfortable. Now, the whole point of what I'm saying here is that what we realize when we encounter God's word is that there are things that are hard for us. And I think that the passage that we're looking at this week is one of the harder passages for many Christians. And one of the things that we do with hard parts of the Bible is we kind of don't see them. Like, as I talk with Christians who have lived the Christian life for a while, one of the things I recognize is that the parts of the Bible that we struggle with the most are often parts that we will turn kind of a blind eye to. We don't really even think that we know much about them. We don't pay attention to them. We're not sure where they are. You would think it's, no, 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 we we know all about that part of the Bible, and I don't like it, and I hate it, and I think about it all the time. I disagree with it, whatever. That's not how it works. We actually just kind of don't see them, and we move on, and we focus on and think about something else. Who would have thought when you do a series in Romans as a church that potentially one of the more difficult passages to look at would be one where Paul talks about governing authorities? He talks about a lot of personal stuff in our lives. He talks about a lot of, makes a lot of big statements about the state of our hearts and how broken we are without Jesus and how much everyone needs him and what the wrath of God looks like for the unsaved. Those are hard things that we would wrestle with and struggle with, but it's possible that some of the hardest things are the things that we don't even necessarily think about because that's kind of what we do with things that are hard. We simply just walk really quickly by and we go, and eh, they've got a taco bar and I'm going to focus on this thing right here. So this morning, as we look at this passage, I I want you to think about that. I want you to think, like, if it is difficult, if it is frustrating, if you go, I wish it wasn't there, know that, that that's okay to feel that way but that the the thing to do would not be to walk on by and say, that's not for me, that was for someone else or something else, or simply, I don't understand it. In fact, what we're gonna see is that Paul makes it very difficult for us to say, I don't know what you're saying to me here, Paul, because he is a very specific. So, Romans 13, verses one through seven, Paul says this to the church. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect, to whom respect is owed. And honor, to whom honor is owed. Paul, come on, right? I mean, how specific are you going to get? As Paul talks to the church about what it looks like to live a Christian life, he talks about these fundamentally important things like our minds being transformed, our our view of our very selves and the gifts we have, our love for those in in the congregation, which is to be the primary ethic that we live by, and our love for those outside the congregation. And like Brandon shared last week, um, our love for our very enemies, those who make our lives difficult. Why on earth, When you're talking about stuff that's that important and crucial to our very identities as people, do you now decide to talk about the government? Don't you know what happens when you talk about politics, Paul? The reason Paul does this is because for a Christian, as he has come to see and experience himself in the church, when your life is transformed and you are now aware of the bigger, greater, more powerful kingdom of God, which is far eclipses any other kingdom or authority or power that you will ever encounter, that when you begin to realize that you are a part of that kingdom now, you serve a huge God, you are free from sin, that it is easy for a Christian to go, well, then I don't really have to care much about the kingdoms of this world. God is my authority, so no one else needs to be. I don't have to do what you say anymore, says the Christian to the person in authority over them. The person who isn't a Christian, isn't a believer, doesn't fear God, and is even persecuting them. And to that person, Paul could not be any clearer. As he tells the church this, you are every person, let every Person. Okay, it didn't leave us a lot of wiggle room there. Let every person be... Su- There's like a cat in the corner going, oh, good. Okay. Let every person be subject. Subject, translate it literally. I know, I want it out of this too. Be, translate it literally. He says, subject is submit, which means follow the instructions of, obey. So let every single person obey and submit to the governing authorities, which, translate it, translate it, translate it, what you get is the people who are in authority over you in the government. And really, uh, as he goes on and he specifies, he kind of broadens this to people who are in authority over you in a variety of different ways. Paul gives us two reasons in this passage why we should do this. The first reason is this, because it's the right thing to do. The first reason that he gives us in these first few verses, he says this, uh, there is no authority except from God. And these, those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. So he says, why should you do it? Because God put them there. What? What are you talking about, Paul? God put them there. God hardened Pharaoh's heart and allowed him to enslave the Egyptians. God um, allowed the emperor of Rome to govern the church in the way and persecute the church in the way that he did. God allowed the Roman officials to kill his own son. God actually allowed this to happen. Paul's response is, yes, he did. The reason that we submit to those at authority over us and our governments, the state itself, we are not above it as much as we would want to be, is because he says, God put them there. He goes on, and not only does he say that God put them there, but he says, whoever resists them as a result, resists what God has appointed. He is saying to the church, submit to God by submitting to these people. God is the author of order. Of justice of truth. Like Brandon said last week, there is a reason why we struggle to forgive those who harm us because God created within us a sense of justice, a sense of right, and a sense of wrong. And that very sense of justice, he also created order. He created a way in which we would function, this world would sort of function, and he allowed these people to be in positions of authority because God chose to use something like power and authority structures as his way of allowing this world to run. That's something God chose. We we get exposed to this very early in life by these things called parents. God gives kids parents. God actually designed it that way. He didn't design it to be Lord of the Flies, where kids all grow up together doing whatever they want, having a great time. He designed it and intended it to be that there is authority over us from the moment we are born, and that we must learn to submit ourselves to that authority. God gives the, the task, the responsibility to a parent and says, You are to lead your children in a way that shows them what good authority looks like, that they can trust and that they can love and that they know looks out for their best interest, but that your authority over your children is rooted in me, the one who gave you those children, the one who brought them into your family and into your life. And as my kids remind me frequently, this does not feel fair. Like, I regularly get the, uh, you always win, right? I never win. Uh, and I stand there saying, this is not what winning looks like. My life right now with you is not necessarily what winning looks like, okay? Like, uh, like the amount of time I spent in, in the bathroom during potty training, right? When I could have been doing other things is not what winning looks like. But there's something within us that rebels against the authority that that says, really, at the end of the day, this. I don't need anyone over me. I don't. I could do my job fine without a boss. Other people need bosses. I don't need uh, police officers and people to enforce laws. I'm, I'm a good person. I don't need that stuff. Other people need that stuff. They need to worry about that stuff. I'm fine. I've got good judgment. I'll be fine. I don't need people governing over, telling about these laws and passing these taxes and saying that things should be a certain way because because God God made me a great person in him and and now that's that's the last thing that I need. We reject authority by nature as we live in the flesh. And our tendency to do that kind of wants to creep in as we seek to live the Christian life. And how easy would it be for us in this life to say, yeah, I I would like it if God didn't want me to have to obey anybody now that I'm a Christian, right? I get to be a rebel now, forever. I get to, to fight against everyone and everything if I say they are not God's appointed. And the bad news, Paul says, is they are God's appointed. He put them over you. What does that look like? What does it look like to, to submit to that and live in that way? We see this throughout scripture in some incredible situations. Daniel, um, when talking to King Nebuchadnezzar, a very evil wicked king um, over an empire that was not good, and Daniel explains to him, he says, the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. That's a little bit of a dig, I think, maybe, but he just reminds him like, "Uh, you know, and Jesus says this to Pontius Pilate, he says to him, "Uh, uh, you are in this position right now now, right here, right now, because God has allowed you to be in this position of authority, because at God's hand He gives that to you. We read in First Peter uh, the, another passage in the New Testament where He talks extensively about what it looks like to subject to submit to governing authorities. Also, um, at a time in the church when they are dealing with a tremendous amount of, of persecution, Peter says this to them: "You are people who are free." So, live as people who are free, he says. Not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but as servants of God. What does it look like to be truly free? We say, I know, I'll tell you what freedom looks like. I'll tell you what it looks like. Free from all these people in authority over me, especially those who don't love and follow you, God. But Peter says this honor everyone love the brotherhood fear god love the emperor one of the greatest things that i think my parents did for me when i was growing up that helped me understand authority in any way was no matter how much i griped and complained about my teachers about my principals about my bosses when i was living at home about the people i had to deal with they never questioned that authority and were like you know what we're going to go in and we're going to make sure this doesn't have to be something you deal with anymore and that affected the way that I saw them. Now, now I told this at the first service. I wasn't sure if I was going to tell it to the second one because I got a lot of weird looks, but I'll say it anyway. So brace yourselves. Here we go. Honestly, if this is the roughest part of this message, we're going to be fine. When I was a kid growing up, I was like one of the original ADHD kids, okay? And it was like the dark ages. I'm not saying original as in like, you know, some of you who are older than me, you know, but I'm saying like they figured out what the heck is going on here. And it was like the dark ages of ADHD times. It was like, it was like chain them to a desk and leave them like a food dish and just go like, hang out over here. We don't want to deal with you and you're kind of in the way. That's how it was for me and people that were in my situation. Uh, fortunately now, people kind of understand a little bit bit better that uh, this is not quite the thing that we think it is and that these are good kids and that there are benefits to this thing but nevertheless I had kind of a tense relationship with a lot of teachers and administrators growing up there were lots of situations I came to find oh sorry I came to find out later on there were lots of situations where my parents were not happy with the people that were like, that were over me in life. They, they, they had this one principle that they were like, oh man, that principle's out to get you. Or, or I had some teachers that were extremely compassionate and understanding and willing to be patient with me and work with me, and I still remember them to this day. And then I had other ones that were a little bit different and not quite so much that way. And I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for my parents to not just say to me at some point, like, you don't need to listen to these people. We'll get you free from this situation. We'll interject and solve this problem for you. But what they did was they recognized, like, authority is authority. And we're not going to set him up very well in life if that's how he ends up dealing with things, is thinking that we'll kind of bail him out. I'm grateful for that, and I recognize as I look to this that God gives us this concept of authority, and it is to be a good thing. But we naturally rebel against it because we want to go our own way. We want to be in charge of ourselves. We read these passages and we go, yeah, but if Paul knew what it was like now, right? Right? Like, if Paul knew, if he had social media, oh my goodness. If he came and lived today, if he had to deal with what we have to deal with, the kinds of leaders that we have to deal with, the kinds of people that I have to deal with, the kinds of bosses that we have to deal with, like the kinds of, of law enforcement, like any of that stuff, they would military strength, anything. Like, if, if only he knew, if only he knew what we had to deal with, he'd be like, guys, never mind. You don't have to do this. This is, this is the hard part, guys. Uh, you may not want to read much then about what it was like for the early church back then because uh, you might find that things were a whole lot more difficult than they are today. The Jewish people, which is the people that our faith sort of came through, were a people that were sort of um, ex- like lived for, for hundreds of years in enslavement in Egypt, and looked ahead finally upon being freed from there to having a promised land, a holy place they could call their own so they could be their own nation. And when they finally received that, they got to be their own nation. They got to be their own like leaders. They got to have their God-appointed priests and rulers and all these people. And they still ended up saying to God, you know, I think we want a king, like a person who's a king. And God's like, you don't want a king, believe me. And they're like, we want to be like everybody else. And he's like, all right, here you go. And then he gives them Saul, right? And things don't go so well for them in the end. But they have... A king, even, and then their uh, their their empire, their nation is is taken over. It is broken up due to the disobedience of the people, and they then will live on. The Jewish people. Uh, f- in other people's lands or under other people's authority in their own land. The time at which Paul is writing this in Palestine, um, the the Christians came uh, from the Jewish faith really because Jesus was the Messiah who they had hoped would come. And they had hoped that the Messiah would come to do what? To rescue them from the Romans. This huge empire, this powerful empire led by an emperor who told people to worship him. And they said, finally, when the Messiah comes, they're going to lead a rebellion. They're going to lead us into independence. They're going, oh, you guys don't have any idea. You think you're big. You think you're powerful. You think your emperor is great. You just wait. Because when the Messiah comes, you're going to be sorry, and it's all going to be over, and we're going to be in charge of you. Then Jesus comes and doesn't impress them very much. He actually ends up being himself killed by the Roman authorities. What does that say now? About the, about the emperor, about the Roman Empire, and about this guy. Well, he certainly can't be the Messiah, right? Well, Jesus is resurrected. He conquers death, saying to people, hey guys, the thing that I defeated is a lot bigger and a lot scarier than the Roman Empire. It's death itself. It's the consequences of sin. And so as the apostles go forth with this message, uh, they uh, they go forth being a people who now live the Christian life differently. And as they do that in the Roman Empire, guess what they discover? They discover that they are different. Not only do they discover they're different, everyone else thinks they're different. Because there's a lot of things that Christians can't do, otherwise they are sinning. There are uh, things that they're told to bow down to that they can't bow down to. And so what do they do? Uh, they choose to abstain from certain things. They choose to not engage in certain types of things. They have these gatherings the community called the church their church family and they do this and people aren't really allowed in who aren't believers and that makes people think they're weird the original term that people used to refer to these early christians were saints they called them saints and saints comes from the idea of being holy which is being different and it wasn't exactly meant well okay it was basically the people who are different right everything they do is different from the things that we do they're weirdos. They don't do the normal stuff. They, don't, they're, they're, they have all kinds of weird, strange habits and rituals and things like that. Plus, by the way, they're atheists. You're like, what, they're atheists? Yeah, because they don't bow down to our gods. And what began in the very beginning as merely annoying and a possible threat to the Roman empire, if these Jews and Christians just kept fighting each other uh, or these, these, and then these Gentiles and everything else, uh, over the years in the church, became legitimate, full-fledged persecution. Paul himself, after writing these words, would be killed, martyred for his faith. This is how the apostles would lose their lives in the end. And The church would become a group of people who are put on stakes to light the parties of the emperor at night, who are uh, bound up into um, the carcasses of wild beasts so that other wild beasts will actually fight them, tear them apart, and eat them um, in the the sort of gladiator-type games. They were chained to the backs of of chariots and, and pulled around. They were beheaded, all kinds of terrible things, stuff you can't even imagine. That's what was done to Christians. And so when Paul says, submit yourselves you should be subject to the authorities over you, the governing authorities over you. He is telling a group of people who are experiencing just the beginnings of the persecution that would eventually get so much worse. When Peter himself says to the church, you are to do these things, pay these taxes, live with honor and respect for the people in these positions, he's telling it to a group of people who are enduring tremendous persecution. Just read the rest of Peter's letters and see that yourselves. In short, if you were a Christian, and Paul's writing this to you, you probably don't have a favorable view of government. The government is the enemy. The emperor is the enemy. These are the people who want your way of life to no longer exist and see it as a threat. If you're a Jewish Christian, one who grew up in the Jewish faith, like Paul, then it's even worse because you were the people who constantly were hoping that God would liberate you from these oppressors, and he never did, but instead did something else that you hadn't anticipated. We ask the question when we hear about this kind of persecution, the lives that early Christians left, and people have asked me this, and it's a legitimate question, why didn't they just leave then? Why didn't they all just get together and leave because usually they, they, when we get accounts of them leaving, it's because they're kicked out of places. It's not because they choose to move away from places where the persecution is like this. Well, when we ask that question, we presume that there's somewhere else they're going to go that's going to be even better, right? That, that they're going to be able to go live somewhere else at the time where the, the, the governing authorities are going to be super nice to them, or going to let them have this Christian faith, or that it's not going to be even more unpredictable, people even more barbaric, or even more difficult to deal with. The other reason they stayed was because this was the mission field that God gave them. They didn't see this as a death sentence. They saw this as a mission field. And what we find in the history of the church is the fact that it is under circumstances of persecution that the gospel thrives the most, it seems. Can you imagine how infuriating that is to the Roman Empire? To say, like, all you have to do, all you have to do is say you're not a Christian anymore and this terrible thing will not happen to you and your family. Not only did people continue to say they were Christians and endure that suffering, but more and more people became Christians. The term martyr means witness. Those who suffered for the faith did so as witnesses to how true this is and the power of the gospel itself and how big God is compared to the other things that we might fear in this world. A man named Justin Martyr who, uh, who wrote um, an, an, his apology, which is like um, he wrote you know, multiple sort of apologetics and defenses of the faith. Apology isn't I'm sorry, I repent for being a Christian. It's here's why I'm a Christian and here's why people choose to believe this thing and you should too. And um, sort of one of, the, one of the things that he wrote at a time of such great persecution was he wrote this in the midst of it. He said everywhere we more readily than all men, endeavor to pay to those appointed by you the taxes, both ordinary and extraordinary. I'm sure we all know what that feels like, right? Ordinary taxes and extraordinary taxes. As we have been taught, he says, by Jesus. We worship only God, but in other things we will gladly serve you, acknowledging you as kings and rulers of men and praying that with your kingly power you may be found to possess Also, sound judgment. What we see here in Paul's words is that God has instituted this authority in our lives, and the reason that we submit to it is first and foremost because it is the same as submitting to him. We get these words from Paul in a situation that is harder than anything that any of us will ever experience as Christians in this life. And he still encourages the church to do it. The reason why we can do this, the reason why we can live this way is because our hope is not wrapped up in those who govern us in this world. Because our God is so big, because the kingdom of God is far greater than the kingdoms of this world. That means that we can honor and respect and submit to those in authority over us even if they don't measure up to our expectations of them, even if they never brought about the change that we hope for, or even if we're worried about what will happen if someone else is in charge or this person gets what they say that they want. It is because of our faith in God that we can actually submit and honor and respect probably better than most. what we often feel when we're in situations under those that we don't agree with is instead of doing what paul says we say these words we say that's not my and then fill in the blank that's not my president that's not my supreme court that's not my school board that's not my principal that's not my police chief That's not my FBI. This isn't my America anymore. This statement is a way of saying, I'm only going to submit to those who really represent me or who I myself have chosen. And let us not be mistaken, this is like an invention of living in a democratic society based on the idea of representative leadership and governance. We believe, as a result of that, that as Christians, it's okay for us to say, if I don't think you represent me well enough, and if I, don't, and if I didn't vote for you, then I don't have to submit to anything you say. And that's simply not what Scripture tells us. Why? Why? Why do, we, uh, why do we as Christians not say those things? Why do we as Christians not take that posture towards those in authority over us, whether it's our boss, whether it's our, 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 our mayor, whether it's our governor, whether it's our president? We don't say those things because we know that what is broken and what is wrong exists in the heart of each person, and it's called sin. The Scripture is very clear to us that the enemy is not these physical, tangible The enemy is spiritual, and the enemy corrupts all physical, tangible things. And so we recognize that even if someone were my president, were my Supreme Court, were my uh, police chief, or my principal, or my school board, that that does not mean that that person is going to perfectly lead anyone anywhere, as much as we'd like to believe that. That as Christians, we can better submit. Why? Because our theology tells us that all people are fallen and imperfect and no one on this side of heaven is going to really ultimately rescue us and save us as much as we'd love to believe that. It's hard to believe that that's how Christians feel when an election comes around. That it's hard to believe that that is how Christians feel when we find ourselves subject to the authority of someone that we totally disagree with. But Paul's clear in his first point that we do this because It is right because God himself says, I've placed them there. And you need to trust me and my sovereignty. The other reason that he gives us, there's two reasons. The other one is this in these next verses. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in her authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. If the first reason that we submit is because it is right and it is on our conscience to do so, conscientious to do so, the second reason that we submit is because it's wise to do so. It is foolish to disobey those in authority and bring pain and wrath upon ourselves. Life is hard enough. Christians will struggle in this world enough. Don't heap more onto it by challenging every authority that you're ever placed under. This is what Paul is saying to the church. This is what Peter's saying to the church. Remember what we're here for, remember what we're trying to do, remember the mission that we have been given. And do not get sidetracked by all of the things that you disagree with because what will happen is that will create tension between you and those in authority over you that is needless or you will end up breaking laws and doing things that you don't agree with and receive punishment for those things. And he says the best thing is that when you're punished and you suffer, that you have a completely clear conscience and you know this is not happening because I've done something wrong. It's happening because I'm doing something right. That is persecution. In the biblical sense. But don't be foolish and choose to ignore authorities because you're a Christian and you don't have to be worried about what they think of you anymore. And you can hold up your Bible and you can use your faith as kind of like a, like a, like a, like a, a protective blanket that says, like a force field that says, nope, nope, I'm a Christian. I don't have to do it. I, I'm different. I have a different view with God. And so I don't have to do this thing that maybe everyone else has to do. Paul says, be wise. Think about the consequences that come when you make these choices and these decisions that you make in your life and ask yourself, what will that lead to? And will I suffer as a result of it? People in the modern era generally don't refuse to submit to our leaders because they are oppressive towards us. We generally refuse to submit to them because we want the freedom to decide what we think is right. That's why. And we think they disagree with us on what that is. Now what's difficult is that there are constant, like many examples in scripture, of times when Christians had to refuse authority. When they had to break the law, they had to disobey authority. And even in the words of Justin Martyr, where he is very careful to say, We worship only God, but in other things, we will gladly serve you, acknowledge you as kings, rulers of men, and pray that you do well and pray for your good well-being. That Christians were constantly having to to go, okay, um, is this okay? Is this okay? Especially in the Roman Empire where uh, the emperor was considered God. And so they did not bow down and worship him and they did suffer persecution, and they did not renounce their faith, even though it would have made their lives so much easier and they could have justified going on and doing good things for God. That Christians had to think about the situations they were in. And imagine what would have happened if the church at this time had said, well, if the emperor calls himself God, even if I don't worship them as God, should I really be doing anything they say? Or am I not still kind of, I don't know, supporting their agenda or something? To that, Paul says, you're not. So follow the law, do what they say. And then he himself gives examples. He himself is the example of situations where you have to go against what the law says. For the very sake of sharing the gospel itself, for the very sake of actually um, Being a believer who professes their faith, and professing our faith, God says, is important. So he kind of wraps this part of it up by simply saying this, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, which is wise, but also for the sake of conscience, which is right. He then does something that makes this some for some of us a little bit more difficult. He then gets specific. Because if at this point we go, okay, fine, Paul. You got me. I can't argue with this. I can't debate with this. This is what you're saying. And you were a guy who saw some pretty crazy stuff. So I've got to trust you on this. And it does line up quite a bit with what Jesus himself said. So, okay, I'll go with it. So I'm just going to resign myself. I'm going to resign myself to not doing anything, you know, bad. I'm going to resign myself to, you know, not making a a, a lot of noise. I'm I'm going to resign myself to not caring at all about the government. How about that? I'll just, I'll disconnect. I'll say Christians shouldn't care. Christians shouldn't even worry about that stuff. We shouldn't be involved in any of that stuff. We shouldn't have anything to do with it. If anybody asks me, I'll say, yeah, yeah, no, I, I you know, I got no problem, whatever, it's fine. Just, you know, I'm gonna go along and get along. Paul doesn't let our submission to authority be something we do only in word. And he doesn't let it be something that's just kind of like a vague concept that we kind of say, okay, fine, I'll agree with this and I'm not gonna argue with you if you say we should do it. He gets really specific. He says, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Pay your taxes, he says. Give him your money. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them taxes, to whom taxes are owed, revenue, to whom revenue is owed. He's like, these are their livelihoods, these are their jobs. So pay for them. And he goes beyond the money that we have to give. And he says, on top of that, respect whom respect is owed and give honor to whom honor is owed. This is not something we can just do in word and then walk away and not think or care about it. He is saying people should see you as someone who respects those who should be respected because of their position. People should look at you and see you as someone who honors and has honor for the position that the person is in. And I don't know that we do this all the time. I think that things like respect and honor and giving of our money, unless we're absolutely 100% forced to, because we're afraid we're going to get an audit or something like that, or go to jail, doesn't seem very appealing to us. Brandon and I were talking last week about this idea of, of forgiving our enemies, and how, and, and he talked about it a little bit that how how one of the challenges of that is that when people wrong us by not forgiving them, by choosing to see them as an enemy, we have control in a situation that we don't really get much more control in, right? I can't change what you did but I can definitely change how I see you in my mind. And nothing you're gonna say is gonna make you my friend again. So there. (laughs) And we do the same thing with those in positions of authority over us. Say, okay, fine. I'll show up to work. I'll do my job like I'm supposed to. But man, oh man, when it's break time, people are gonna hear about it. Oh, they are gonna hear about it. Fine, I'm not gonna go out. I'm not gonna start a riot i'm not going to go out i'm not going to protest i'm not going to go out i'm not going to throw rocks through windows or do stuff to say like okay i'm against you and i'm against this and i'm against everything but when i get online people are going to know exactly how much i don't respect you exactly how much you don't deserve any honor when i talk to people about it they're going to know that my kids are going to see that in me people will see how i really feel because you know what they can't make me do that. And you're right, they can't. Your boss cannot force you to treat them with respect, to respect them. Those in governing, those in governing authorities over us, those who lead our, our, our cities and our states, our schools, our, our law enforcement, our military, those who lead our nation, they cannot force us to treat them with honor. They can't. They can't force us to treat them with respect. They can't. They try to force us to pay taxes, and they kind of can do that. But I know a lot of people who have some pretty creative ways of getting around that, too. But a Christian is called to live differently. We're called to be people who actually do that. Not because they force us to, but because God tells us this is what it means to live the Christian life and really be transformed by the gospel. I think that when we talk about what it is to live the Christian life, a lot of what we encounter is simply this, you're going to do things that are different from what other people do. You're going to live differently from other people. And it's not because you just set out to be completely different from everybody else. It's because when you encounter what it is in God's Word that that shapes you and the way that you live. When you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is the first step in this process, when you encounter God's truth and you choose to not walk by it like you're at some kind of a buffet line with a million other options, but you actually take it in and say, this is for me, even if it's difficult. That when you do that, much of the time, it will require you to live in a way that you're going to look around and go, this is not the way a lot of other people are living. And I'm different as a result of it, but you'd be surprised how often living the Christian life is a matter of doing the same things that other people do, but doing them for totally different reasons. In this instance Paul says to us, I'm not asking you to act differently than them when it comes to these governing authorities. I'm asking you to be the best at this. Because you have a real reason to do it. You see, the gospel and the power of God himself and the kingdom of God being present in our lives gives us the ability to do things that other people do for the wrong reasons and to do them for the right reasons. To do some things that other people might attempt to do and be only able to do them in an incomplete way because you really respect this person only because of this thing they've done. And when they stop doing it, you won't anymore. You really respect this person because they're from a party that you like. And as soon as they're not, you won't respect them anymore. You really uh, look up to this person in authority because they manage you the way that you want or they treat you a certain way or whatever. And as soon as they don't do that, then you won't anymore. What Paul says instead is that we are to be people who do this and we do it well. And as Justin Martyr himself said, we do these things because Jesus told us to. He, he showed us what it looks like when the kingdom of God is what drives you to be able to do these things on a level that others can't. It's the same as love. It's the same as everything else we've talked about. If God gives me all the love I need, then I can love you without needing you to love me back, which means that I can love you unconditionally, which no one else can do without the gospel. If God tells me to respect those in authority over me, why, because of him, well, he doesn't fail me. And so I can respect those in authority over me, treat them with respect, no matter what happens, because of who he is and what he does. Being changed by the gospel gives us the ability to do things in a totally different way, in a real way. And by doing that, our message is spread People see how good God is. And we find, as it has been in culture after culture, in people group after people group, in in turmoil and difficult situation, one after another, we see that when things got hard, that the gospel spread. Why on earth, God, would you allow people to be in authority over us who act this way? Who say these things, who do these things, who fail in these ways. Why on earth, God, would you do that? And we don't know why God does all the things that He does. But one of the things that we do know is that as much as we dislike persecution, that nothing spreads the gospel faster. Nothing makes the church closer and more bound together. And as I was, I was just talking to someone in the lobby this morning, leaving the first service, who has, is in remission from cancer and was, was, was walking me through the very painful journey that they had been on with that. And they said, like, which I could not say, they said, this was the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to trust God and to actually lean on to God in a way that I simply had chosen not to when I was in control. It's hard for us to know that that's the way it works. But if we trust that God really is as good as he says he is, as great as we sing that he is, then that means that all we have to look forward to, and it's a very good thing, is that no matter how difficult things are, we grow closer to him, the gospel is spread, and people see that more. Let's pray.